everybody. Welcome to How the Fuck Did You Bounce Back? I am your host, Rebecca Lee, and in this episode, I chat with actor, comedian, writer, and just all-around great person, Lawndale Theus Jr., and he has such an interesting story. He comes from a family of NBA players. Uh, He himself was playing college basketball. He tore his ACL, which cut his NBA dream short, but it did lead him down the path of being a comedian and an actor, which he says is what he's meant to do, is his dream. We even talk about a pilot that he was a lead-in where he got to play a basketball player, which I think is very ironic. We talk about a devastating vision that he had that changed the trajectory of his life. We talked about the transition from being a college athlete to being a successful comedian, and we talk about doing things for the love of it and the fun of it. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks for listening. Lawndale, thank you so much for joining me. I'm really excited to talk to you because I don't know much about you. I know you're a funny human being and that we run in sort of the same comedy sphere, um, but that's all I know. So thanks for giving me an hour of your time. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Uh, I've heard a few episodes and I really enjoyed just hearing about the stories and experiences of my peers that I haven't really heard before, you know, because a lot of times we don't get a chance to talk this in depth about different aspects of our lives or what we're going through. Yeah, especially I feel like in comedy, it's so hard because like everybody talks in bits kind of, which is great and it's fun (laughs) and like I love it and there's a time and place to talk about deep things. uh, But it is really nice to like get to know your peers in a way that you didn't before. Um, Yeah, yeah. Uh, cool. So I usually start out by asking, is there a low point, a challenge, um, a low season in your life that you're most proud of overcoming? And can you share that with us? Yeah, yeah. One of the I think one of the ones that kind of sticks with me the most in terms of uh, a low point that I overcome overcame was tear my ACL that ended my basketball career. So at what since eight years old, I've wanted to be in the NBA. Like basketball was my whole motivation. Um, it was, it, it, I spent most of my time just putting my energy towards that goal. Um, and I also came from a basketball family. So my uncle played 13 years in the NBA. Oh. The NBA All-Star for a couple of years. Um, and my dad got drafted by the San Diego Clippers. So he got drafted to the NBA. But he tore his ACL a week before the draft. Oh my God. So he never got a chance to actually, he went to the summer camp after he healed up, but you know, back then his knee wasn't nearly a hundred percent back in the eighties. So he didn't end up making the team. And so that story kind of stuck with me. So when I decided to play basketball, I'm like, okay, my uncle was like, you know, an NBA all-star. My dad got drafted, but he tore his ACL and he was never able to to make it. So I almost like made the story for myself of like, I'm going to be the one that makes it. So for him and for me, too, because I loved it. I love the game. But me and my dad also, we have the same name. So I'm a junior. Okay. So it was that aspect, too, of like, you know, I'm going to be the Lindell that makes it. I'm not going to tear my ACL. That's not going to be my story. Um, and my dad was such a, a motivating and positive figure in that journey because he never he didn't have that thing of like, well, I didn't make it, so I'm going to put all my unfulfilled hopes onto my son. He didn't have that. He was like, hey, whatever you want to do, I'm going to support you. Uh, so when I, I told like him- I that's so common, and at least from what I hear, like 
I guess in any industry, but sports seems to, it seems to be a pretty heavy one where it's like, I couldn't do it. So you're going to do it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And even playing basketball growing up, you know, as I'm younger, I noticed so many of my friends, their dad, you know, in the younger leagues, your dads would be the coach. Right. And so many of them at the end of the season, they'd be like, I'm never playing basketball again. I, I hate know. you. Da, da, da. Just because yeah. the, the intensity of being a coach, uh, kind of overriding being a parent. Mm-hmm. So I was very fortunate where we never had that dynamic. Um, he was always supporting my level of intensity. So if I'm like, hey, I want to play in this league or I want to play or or I want to get this skill down, he's like, okay, I'm going to tell you what to do and we're going to train. Um, and I'm going to tell you if you're reaching, if I'm reaching a point, a limitation, he's going to be honest with me and like, listen, you got to break through that limitation if you want to get this. If you don't, cool, let me know. And I'm, I'm not going to push you, but I'm just going to let you know, like, you're going to need to go harder if you want this. Um, and so those moments were always great because it was up to me to decide to go further and get more intense about my training and my basketball. Um, so I kind of had that with me as well as anybody who saw me in the basketball world growing up, they always knew my uncle, uh, Reggie Theus. So then they're always comparing me and he was, you know, he's a great player and I was a very good player, but I wasn't great like that. I didn't have that level of talent. So then kind of living in that shadow and that expectation also kind of drove me to like, I need to work harder. Um, you know, I need to be the best I can be. Um, and that Even was like point- growing up, you felt like there was that pressure. I mean, it feels like, of course, like if your relative is in the NBA, yeah, uh, yeah. that seems that's really hard. It's it the pre- really hard. it started. I remember the day it started 14 years old, freshman year of basketball. This is after regular season in like high school. And I and I play in like AAU, which is like travel ball. And Ooh. I go to L.A. I grew up in the suburbs, which is like the level of competition wasn't super high. And I was really good out there. Then I go to the city into LA where the best basketball players in like Southern Cali are playing. And I was five, like just give the the listeners context. I'm six foot six, about 225, 230 right now. When I was a freshman in high school, I was five foot seven, 105 pounds. I was tiny. Damn. I was tiny. (sighs) So when I go out into that court, I'm the smallest one on the court. And I'm definitely the worst player on the court. Uh, I remember that day, my best friend came with me just to like come and support. I was just supposed to ask if I can be in this league. Um, uh, just almost like doing research. And I'm sitting in the in the crowd. I'm not expected to play. And I talked to the head guy, Dave Bernezra, who, who I love dearly. He's a, he's a great guy. He was like, you got your shoes with you? I'm like, yeah, come on. I'll throw you in the next game. And he just throws me in the game. And I'm terrified. Cause I'm seeing dudes like dunking, doing all this stuff. Like, how it's, tall are normal players at that age? Which are normal? What is normal? At that age, average. I would say like average at that age. You know, five ten, I would say. Okay. But I'm saying like, but I'm just saying like average. We're we're talking about different levels right. of, of competition. The level of competition I was playing at, the average height was around six feet plus. Damn. Okay. Um, so I hit puberty pretty late. Like I didn't start like getting like growing and kind of getting muscle until I was like 16, 17 years old. Okay. So some of these dudes had beards. Some of these dudes were like full buff, you know? Um, so playing in that game, I played awful. Uh, I was so nervous. The lactic acid built up in my legs where I literally started moving slower. Cause my, I felt like I was moving through mud. I was just, I was a mess. And so after the game, I remember, 
you know, I, I just had a headache. I was so stressed out. And my dad was telling me, he was just kind of giving me a pep talk, but of an intense pep talk. He's like, listen, this is going to be a make or break moment. You can either choose to move forward in this program and you will get better, but you got to drop the fear. You got to drop all this, whatever. And you just got to play. Um, or you can say like, this is too difficult. I want to go back to where I'm comfortable and where I'm like one of the best. And so that day on, I was like, all right, I'm gonna keep, I'm gonna keep coming every week. I'm gonna keep coming. So that was the transition where I think I dropped like the fear of competing at a high level. So no matter how good people were, I didn't have a problem playing against them, but that's when I felt the pressure of, I need to be better. I how did be you better. like drop the fear? It was almost like I didn't have a choice. Because mm. the goal was so strong of like, I want to be in the NBA. I want to play professional basketball. I know this is the only path. And I care about that more than anything else. So I really don't have an option to, but to move forward without the fear. Mm. So I just did that, which was which was a, a great learning experience for me. Because I knew that on the other side of the most uncomfortable experiences, if I know it's a leading towards a, towards a goal I want, I have to go through it. Mm. Um the 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 offside of that was I put so much I saw how good other players were like some of the best in the country I'm talking about I'm playing I played with and against guys that are in the NBA now and were in the NBA in the past so these are like the best players in the world I'm playing against and I saw how big of a gap there was so then on top of the positive of like I didn't have fear I'm going to compete against anybody the the negative aspect was I had a kind of I don't know about inferiority, but I, I felt that I had to outwork everybody to an unhealthy degree, mm. meaning that I felt like I had to train and work so much to make up for that gap that eventually through my high school and through my college career, I started getting like nagging injuries because I wouldn't rest. I would overtrain. Um, and so I had knee issues in college, like tendonitis or in, in high school, I had knee issues in high school, tendonitis. People would joke and call me old man sometimes because I'd always be icing my knees and I would come to practice like an hour early just to warm up and stretch, you know, because mm -hmm. I felt like I couldn't just like turn it on like that. I had to really like get my body into it. So then there's another aspect of like making it to the NBA and feeling that pressure of like, okay, I got my uncle, I got my dad, I got wanting to knowing how good players are and knowing I'm not as far as talent and gifts, I'm not there yet. Then there was an the aspect of getting a college scholarship. Mm. And so that was like a big deal for me too. It's like uh, during that time, my parents, it was before the 2008 financial crash. And they always kind of joke about it. Like we were the canary in the coal mines because our family got hit like two, three years before that happened. Mm. They were into like some real estate stuff and they were into some other things and all those kind of fell through. So even though I grew up like in the suburbs, pretty like financially comfortable, my senior year of high school on, our family was struggling financially a lot mm. um, and couldn't really afford college like that. And so I got some opportunities to for some like East Coast schools and small schools to have like some scholarships and stuff like that. But then again, I wanted to be with the best. My uncle actually told me to come visit because he was head coach at New Mexico State at the time. And he's like, listen, our program is a mid-major, but we're, we're going to have a great year this year. We got a great group of guys. Just come and visit. So I went out and visited. And it was that same situation. Like, yo, out of all the colleges I went to, these are by far the best players. Um, and I want to be with the best. But they didn't have full scholarships at the time. So I had to go like half of the tuition. I had to do it from a uh, academic scholarship. Mm. 
And then my, so I decided to go there. I'm like, I want to come here. But then uh, my senior year, I thought I was just going to chill and cruise. But my counselor was like, you got to get straight A's this last semester. If you're going to get the cumulative GPA through your whole high school career to get the scholarship. So then I had to hustle and, <laughs> and do that. And I did get the straight A's. Um, my parents was like, no pressure, but this is like $15,000 a year <laughs> riding yeah. on you getting straight A's. And we're already kind of struggling. Yeah. So I ended up doing that, which is another moment I was proud of kind of overcoming that, that aspect. Um, so got those straight A's, got that partial scholarship. Then it gets to the point where after the first year, we went to the tournament. We played against Texas when Kevin Durant was there. Well, we lost by 10, but it was a close game most of the game. So there was like a lot of cool dream experiences. And, you know, we won the conference championship on our home court. So like the crowd rushed the floor. So there were those experiences where I'm like, I think I'm headed in the right direction, you know. Didn't get much playing time that season. But sophomore year, the summer between freshman and sophomore, I was hooping. Like I was balling, like I just could not miss. And so a lot of the guys on the team were kind of seeing me in like a different light, mm. but we get a new coach because my uncle gets offered the coach at the Sacramento Kings. And so we get a new coach and I was like, oh, I don't know. I just kind of met with him. I just did not click with him. I just didn't think it was going to work out, but then I decided to stay. Um, and eventually that whole situation just kind of like, it fell through. It was not a good situation at all. It's so wild how coaches really affect the trajectory of players. Like, yeah. I didn't, I kind of, it's kind of like, well, yeah, of course. But at the same time, I didn't know because I'm not, and like, I don't play sports and I, ne I never really did. So, like, I didn't know how much that affects the player. Like, I was talking to Carl Tart about this. Yeah, yeah. And he said the same thing that the coach is like kind of the reason he stopped. Um, why, like, why is that? Like, why is it such a huge thing? It's really interesting. Cause you know, comparing where I'm at now in acting and comedy, things feel so kind of, um, things are not linear. They feel so subjective in terms of how you get success and how you make it and how you move up. When I was playing sports, it felt like it was more objective, meaning that it's pretty objective. If, if a player has a certain level of skill and a certain level of, um, talent in a field that you're going to improve and, and move on up to that. Then I got to a point where I realized coaches have personalities, they're human beings. And that subjective aspect of like, this player might be good enough in a certain way, but I like this guy because of this reason, mm. or there's some type of baggage, you know, from whatever reason where they just don't vibe with you. Mm. Um, and so, I mean, I, I told the coach straight up, I'm like, listen, I can't come back without a full scholarship. I can't, my family cannot afford it. Don't, I will figure it out. We got you. We got you. We'll figure it out. That's really the reason why I stayed. I'm like, okay, that time never came. And on top of that, I was staying in an apartment that my grandma was staying at the time. Cause she moved to college with me mm. um, because it was some better healthcare in New Mexico. Mm. She ended up having to leave. Um, and I, it was like a three bedroom apartment that of course I couldn't afford. So I'm like, okay, I'm moving out. I'm going to get a smaller place. And he had a bunch of recruits that were on scholarship, new recruits. He's like, oh, we need to find a place for them to stay. Can they just stay with you? And, and, and don't worry, they'll pay rent. They'll figure it out. Da, da, da. I'm like, I really can't. No, just, just do it for us. There was always this aspect of like, do it for the team. Mm. I'm like, all right. And of course, that was a whole shit show because the rent would never come. Um, I was always getting the eviction notices. This is during like season and during like practice and stuff. Then on top of that, one of the thing, things that broke the camel's back 
was um, there were nine scholarship players that were brought in over me. And about, I think, I think all nine of them could not play the first half or the entire first season because they didn't pass NCAA clearinghouse rules. So what does that mean? What is there's that? like, there's like, a, there's like academic, oh. there's like eligibility and academic stuff oh, okay. where certain things transfer, where you can actually be eligible to play in NCAA um, sports. Okay. And because, you know, a lot of these, what happened in that age is a lot of us go to prep schools and go to different things where certain schools aren't fully accredited certain, you know, mm. there's a lot of things that kind of go on in between the lines. And so, you know, for whatever reason, these players didn't pass those kind of things and they couldn't play the first half of the season. So now we're playing with like eight players instead of like a full 12, 15 player roster. And because of that, I have to play the power forward position, which is like guys that are like six, eight, two sixty, two seventy. I got to play against guys like that. So I got to play out of position that year. And during practice, I was always getting, there was a point system in practice. So anything you do good, you get a positive. Anything you do good, you get a negative. I was always in like the negative, you know, seven, negative eight, whatever like that, because I would not be able to rebound over these guys. Mm. So I'm the only one after the practice. The punishment for that is you got to run top speed on the treadmill at whatever point negative that is. I would never survive any sport. Like (laughs) as soon as the positive negatives come out, I'm done. I'm crying every time, you know? Yeah, yeah. So it's like I'm at, I'm the only one after practice running like nine minutes top speed on the treadmill because I'm playing out of position for guys that have full scholarships and I can't get a scholarship and I'm getting all these other financial burdens on top of that. So after that, I'm like, I'm done, man. I'm gone. So I actually left midseason. Okay. Midseason, I'm like, I'm done. Yeah. I don't know where my basketball journey is, but it ain't here. Yeah. Um, And luckily with that, my parents as well always supported me. Um, Within 24 hours, I got a scholarship to a school in Idaho called College of Idaho. Smaller Within school. 24 hours? Yeah, yeah. Well, I got an offer at least. Okay. So that was for me, that was like divine providence because I'm yeah. like, everybody on the team was telling me, I know it sucks because there was a lot of players struggling too, but you can't leave mid-season. You got to just finish the season. I told him like, I can't, I just can't take it. I got to leave. Um, and I got to trust this feeling. So I basically jumped mm-hmm. out without a net, didn't know what was going to happen. And... I think that kind of taught me always kind of listen to my gut, even if there's a big risk. Because within 24 hours, my assistant coach from last year heard about it, made some calls to some schools. Um, College of Idaho was one of them. They wanted me to come out there and visit. Uh, so I went out there and visited and I was like, all right, this is the place. So that was like another step in my journey of like, okay, I finally got a full scholarship. I feel like I'm, I'm going to be one of the better players on the team. And I, I kind of feel like things are kind of starting to move towards that goal of wanting to play professional basketball. So I'm there for six, you know, six months, half a year. The summer comes, my knee is hurting really bad at this point. And so I got an MRI and I found out I got a torn ACL and got to get surgery. Never even get a chance to play. I mean, isn't that wild that you were, you didn't know that you had a torn ACL? Like, isn't that a very yeah, painful so thing? Yeah, so basically what happened, it was a weird thing. So some, most ACL injuries are, are traumatic, as they say, which means it's one event that makes it happen. Right. So mine was like a gradual thing where my knee was hurting worse and worse kind of mm. throughout the end of that year and into the summer to the point where I couldn't even like shoot a free throw and bend my knees without like serious pain. And so when I get the MRI, the doctor's like, listen, your ACL is hanging on by a thread. It's just like this. 
it's basically torn. You got to get surgery. There's no repairing this. Um, and so that was the situation. That first news was like, just when I feel like things are going my way, just when I feel like I'm starting to kind of fulfill those things I've kind of held onto me for so long, I get this news. So the first aspect of like overcoming that was the the attitude and mindset. Mm. The first was like, okay, maybe this is a good, maybe this is like a reset, right? Um, because in, in doing the figuring out like why ACLs get torn, figuring out why knee injuries happen, there's a lot of stuff about the muscles and the exercises and stuff that lead to that with hips, ankles, all these things that I really didn't know about and no one really taught me. Um, so I'm like, okay, maybe I can like start with a blank slate and kind of rebuild my body in the most optimal, optimal way. So when I'm healthy, I'm going to be even better than I was before. So that was like the first period of me being like, okay, this might be a good thing. It's just going to be a reset. It's okay. Um, so of course, coming back to school that next year, can't play the entire year. Um, because of, course, of the, the, Injury? the rehab. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's okay, about okay. nine months to, to get through that. The thing that was also tough was because it was a smaller school and it happened, uh, it happened outside of the school year. I had to kind of front all the medical bills, my family and I, myself. And, you know, we had those, that medical debt stayed with us for like, who knows how long, but a long time because yeah. we couldn't pay for it. Yep. Um, I couldn't even pay for physical therapy during the summer without, for like the first month I did physical therapy, which was great, but then we couldn't afford it after that. So then I had to like ask the physical therapist about like, what should I do for the rest of my rehab? And I had to do the rest of the rehab myself. Mm. There was only one trainer at the the smaller college where like a D1 college, there's a whole myriad of trainers and you're mm. always going to have someone that's going to be working with you. So she had a whole athletic department to do on her own. So I had to do my rehab myself for the whole nine months. Mm. Um, and, you know, par parts of it went well, parts of it were tough, but I think during that time, that gap where I, I couldn't play basketball for the first time since I started, there was, of course, a kind of a feeling of kind of emptiness, but a feeling of a void that I didn't know really how to fill. And I think kind of fate would have it was I just started doing comedy videos in my dorm room. Um, I was never really like a, uh, I was always a shy person. I was always like a serious person. There'd always be a side of me that was very silly and funny and comedic but I would only show those to my close friends or like, like maybe my close, like my mom and my pops might know, uh, but no one else really knew. So during that time, uh, I was like, I was always good at voices and impressions. So I'm like, all right, let me just make some like Im impressions. Like, you know, sometimes I just do Eddie Murphy out of nowhere. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, you know, sometimes I do, I do the clumps. I do Eddie Murphy. You know, sometimes I do Denzel. You hear what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. So I would just do videos like that. Uh, and film them and post them on my Facebook. Uh, oh, on Facebook. I was going to say YouTube or Facebook? This is okay, like, fa I think I put it on YouTube, but I shared it on Facebook. Sure. Um, And it was the first time I got like a positive response that really excited me outside of basketball. Mm. Um, And people were just laughing. I thought it was funny. And it was just a, just a spark. It wasn't like a full on passion yet, but it was a spark of like, oh, this might be something. I don't know what it is. As like a shy person, I think you used the word shy. Um, mm -hmm. how how did you get the confidence to post the that to post the first video or you know what I mean? Because that feels like yeah, a big yeah. step to go from yeah. like you know a serious basketball player to posting the first thing. Yeah, yeah. I think in terms of like being comfortable with my 
comedic self. I think there was a process. So there was like, there was a time in my prep school. I went to an all boys prep school in Virginia, my last two years of high school, because we're living in dorms or kind of living on our own away from home. You start to kind of develop uh, closeness and relationships with, with your kind of fellow classmates and peers. And through that, I felt comfortable enough to slowly start expressing myself more comedically to them mm. to the point where at one point before our graduation, I was known as the funny guy, which I had never been known for. And so a few of us got together in our room and it was my job to make everyone laugh and spit up water. So everyone would like drink a whole, whole thing of water and I had to make everyone laugh and I made everybody laugh the whole night. <laughs> I was doing a whole bunch of characters, goofy stuff, impressions, you know. Um, I think that experience right there showed me of like, oh wow, I can actually be really funny. Didn't really tap back into that too much since then because like basketball was kind of all consuming. But I think when basketball was there was a void and I couldn't play. I kind of remembered those parts of myself. Mm. I was like, listen, if I can make these dudes laugh, who I thought were, you know, I thought those dudes themselves were funny, but I was like, I can, I can probably, this might be fun. And, and okay. to be honest, some of it is like, you just don't think too much, you know? Yeah. Like I got nothing else to do. What else am I going to do? Sure. Like, so you just kind of do it. Okay. Um, yeah. So I didn't think too much about it, but then once things kind of people started reacting, I was like, yo, I think I should, start doing this some more this is fun so i would do it like every month i would like have a new impression or new little skit i would play all the characters i'm sure the editing was terrible (laughs) (laughs) but yeah that kind of like kept me going throughout that period funny enough my dad actually started acting around that same time so when i tore my acl my dad actually made the transition from at the age of 50 going from he was a police officer for decades and then he was training uh police officers in maryland and then um he was like you know what i'm gonna start acting he just got the book and he just said i'm gonna go full full steam ahead which is something i really love about my parents is both of them they're not afraid to change and transition if it's something they feel passionate about um and that was like a turnaround for everyone in our family because my pops was always very stoic very intense like he's like the archetype of like a warrior. Like he just, he's an intense guy. So even growing up, even though there was deep love and deep commitment to family, there was always this aspect I didn't see of him, which was like the vulnerable, super silly side, the lighter side. And so when he started acting, I start to see that side come out, which was really cool. But during that time, I helped him audition for some things and like read with him. He was like, ah, you're pretty natural at this. You should actually think about acting. I was like, oh, wow, okay, I don't know. Funny story, you know, UCB, as we know, big improv school and comedy comedy school and theater. He took me to my first uh, improv show at UCB. In New York or in LA? No, no, in LA. Oh, nice. At that time, um, you know, I'm kind of in Idaho. He's in LA. Um, And he started, you know, taking acting classes. And he's like, I want to take improv and do research. And he's like, oh, I heard UCB. They let you perform at the end of each thing where I think other schools weren't at that time. Yeah. It's like, I'm going to do that. So he took two levels of UCB. <laughs> <laughs> and because you got to watch shows as a requirement during the summer when I was home, he took me to see Convoy. I think it was one of the first shows sure. I saw. Sure, yeah. I was blown away. I was like, yo, yeah. I've never seen anything like this before. Mm-hmm. And it was so exciting. And I think that was that was a, um, that was like a little moment where it's like little flashes where you think you could this could possibly be a future, but you just don't know what it is yet. That was definitely a moment. So 
Then cut to I'm done with rehab. I'm cleared to play again. This is after the season's over. So it's like springtime when you play five on five pick a ball and stuff. So I'm playing again, but my knee is starting to hurt again. And it's progressively starting to get worse and worse again. Um, and I started having that feeling where I'm like, oh my God, really? Like, is this is this really gonna happen again? So once the school year is over during the summer, it continued to get worse to the point, same thing. I couldn't even barely bend my knees without pain. Oh so I got God. another MRI. And they told me, I can't remember what it was, but they were like, it was it's bone degeneration in the tibia. And there's not really a surgery for that. Maybe you can physical therapy and maybe it'll get like better in a year. But they're basically like, it's kind of is what it is. Was it connected to the ACL at all? Or is it's, it, it the same knee in the sense of, because they put like, you know, they put like some screws, they put some uh, a different, they put part of my patella tendon to connect the ACL. There's some type of, they didn't say it was like for sure, but they were like, it's probably something to do with the rehab yeah. process and, and what would happen where it just kind of wore out like that. So then I'm like, I can't go through this type of pain for another year without even the guarantee that I'm going to get better. Because mm. essentially they're like, there's not much you can do. And at that point I'm performing, my knee is like 80, 80, 85, 80% maybe. And that's, that's huge in basketball. Mm. Like to the point where I used to have like a 36 inch vertical. If you lose even two inches, that changes your game entirely. Cause now mm. guys, you can block, you can't block anymore. Uh, right. Rebounds you can get, you can't get anymore. Layups or finishes at the rim you could make, you can't finish anymore. Um, and I lost probably more than that, you know? Yeah. So after that, I'm like, listen, basketball is done. I know it's over. I can't, I just can't compete at that level um, physically anymore. And so that realization after all that time was definitely devastating. And it really broke my heart. Like even now, even now I get emotional talking about it. It broke my heart having to call the coaches mm. and tell them that I, I, I'm not, I can't play basketball anymore. Number one, because I went to the school for a year and a half and I couldn't play. One, because I transferred mid-season the next time because I tore my ACL. Um, and I got to have a full scholarship there and I never even got to play. And so, yeah, yeah. just And also just everyone having their kind of excitement and hopes about like, oh, we can't wait till we get you. It's going to be so exciting. So not being able to play and having to break that news was definitely heartbreaking. I would say you... that- Oh, no, go ahead. Yeah. No, no. What were you going to say? I was going to say, how do you deal with it when it's like, it's like not even your fault? Like, that's such a hard thing to like come to terms with the fact that like it's your body and it's not you. And like you yeah, yeah. really want to, but your body can't. Like, that just yeah, seems yeah. like such a hard thing to come to terms with and yeah. not like be mad at your body. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was definitely like, uh, I think throughout the years, I had to. I had to change and reorient the relationship I had to my body, specifically my knees. Cause even before this point in high school, I always felt like I had bad knees cause they were always in pain. The joke on me with some of the guys is like, Oh man, you got bad knees. You got old knees. So that story's in my head. That's kind of the relationship I had with my knees. Right. Um, even to the point where like one of the, the funny moments in, in high school was we were going to the state tournament and usually I'm not really dunking cause my knees hurt. But then I got this, the coach took us out to like get some, you know, go to the mall. I got this 
think uh, Slam Dunks DVD. That's when all the like NBA highlights used to be on DVDs. Okay. It was like all the best dunks in the NBA. And so the whole team knew I got it. So during that time, before we go to the state tournament, when we're warming up doing layup lines, I'm just like, boom, I'm doing 360 dunks. I'm doing double pump reverse dunks. I'm doing all these dunks. And everyone's dying laughing because they're like, dude, you get one DVD and all of a sudden look at you. You think you, you think you one of them, huh? Because I would never do that before. So, but so like my relationship, especially after this ACL injury, was like, oh, I got bad knees, you know. Um, and so I, I did have to, it took some years to kind of change that narrative and mm. be like, you, my knees were my knees, you know. They didn't, they're not, they didn't do anything um to kind of uh, rob me of it. The thing that I kind of took away from it was I had, I overtrained myself. I didn't take care of my knees as I should. And this isn't about like, you know, blaming myself for these type of injuries, but it was definitely an aspect of, I thought I wasn't good enough constantly. Um, and so, because I thought I wasn't good enough, I thought I had to work harder than anybody. And I, I couldn't rest. I didn't have the, the luxury to rest. I had some guys on my college team that were so gifted. They would never be in the weight room. They would never train. They would always go like 50% in practice. They would be begin high before games and they start and drop like 20 and 10. Mm. You know, those guys are gifted. I was never gifted to that aspect. I was talented, but I always had to, I felt like I couldn't, I didn't have the luxury to not work harder than everyone else. But because of that, I didn't take care. I didn't rest properly. I didn't love uh, love my body properly, give my body the proper type of love it needed. Um, and so I think eventually that kind of, the way I took it is like, this is kind of what led to that. This was one of the moments that led to that. So it was kind of changing my perspective of when I move forward, if I do something I'm passionate about, I just got to really do it only for the love. Because mm. I love basketball. It was a pure love. and But up until the age of 14, it was like a pure love. And then up until 14, it was love mixed with I'm not good enough and I need to work harder than anyone. So th those things kind of got mixed. So there was a part when I when I was rehabbing through my ACL, obviously I couldn't compete at that level. So I almost realized how much I was kind of being hard on myself because then when I physically could play again, I was just doing it for the fun of it because I missed it. And when I was doing that, I realized like, man, I'm just playing out of pure fun and joy and love and not this extra burden of I'm not good enough. I need to work harder and do this. So then once I finally kind of got that second injury and I couldn't play anymore, I really realized like, OK, even though I love basketball, I mixed it in with a kind of extra burden that I got to I got to get rid of, you know, because if I keep holding on to that and other aspects of my life is going to wear me down in other ways. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that kind of changed my relationship with my body of like taking responsibility that it was a kind of a psychological, a negative psychological thing I put on myself that I was also projecting onto my own body. Um, take, but that takes so much like self-reflection to like even connect those two things, you know, like yeah, to be like, yeah. oh, I didn't take care of myself because I didn't feel worthy or, or good enough or whatever. Yeah, Has yeah. it taught you anything about like, because I feel like it's really hard to know the line of like pushing through discomfort and then knowing your limitations. Like it's such a fine line. Do you, do you feel like you're better at differentiating between those two things? I definitely feel like I'm better at doing that now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Partly, be partly because I experienced it a little bit in this 
in this um, journey as an actor and comedian and, and, and working as that, there was a moment too where I felt like I was kind of going down the same path where I was just overworking myself. Mm. Some of those same tendencies of, of I won't say, I'm not going to say it was the same as not because I wasn't good enough. Because, I mean, I'll be honest, I, I really, after a certain point, I didn't really have any issues with confidence or my ability to be one of the best at what I do in this area mm-hmm. where I had some type of issues like that with basketball. Cause I would clearly see people that are like, man, these people are gifted. Mm. Like I'm going to have to work super hard just to be on the same level with like acting and comedy. Pretty soon. Not only was I getting external confirmation of like, dude, you really good early on, but I just kind of felt it inside of like, I'm gifted at this. Mm. And this is what, this is what I should be doing. Um, So I didn't really have a lot of issues in terms of that type of confidence, but I also just had such a a drive. I wanted to like, I just wanted to get better and grow and do these things that I would, I think at one time, one part of the year I was doing the CBS showcase, which is a crazy schedule. At the same time, I was on a UCB mod team doing sketch doing that, which we had a crazy schedule only because almost all the actors would come to the, all the writers meetings which some mods teams didn't do. Cause a lot of the actors were also like writers. So we love pitching ideas and being through the process. Then I did the Herald, you know, it was on Herald with Rococo. Um, and I, I was doing that and I was doing, of course, auditioning like a whole bunch of auditions for like, you know, TV and film stuff. And I was at that point where, because I was good at like sketch and writing stuff, I just got some new reps and they were like, oh, let's let's get us some scripts and some pilots. What ideas you got? Da, da, da. So I was pressing and pushing myself to do all that. Plus, I was doing stand up. I'm doing all that at the same time. Wow. And so I remember one part. And to be honest, this is something I I, I think I only told like my family and like a couple friends. But I remember it was mainly about the writing aspect of like writing this thing. I was driving and I just got this vision that just came to me. And the vision, and because I was so stressed out at that time, the vision came to me of like, I was stressing myself out so much trying to handle all these responsibilities, but like trying to turn in a script and trying to create a pilot and trying to, you know, do this stuff. And it was mainly the writing aspect that was starting to kind of be the straw that broke the camel's back. That in that vision, I had a heart attack that I was so stressed out and I died. And it wasn't even like, like a thought. It wasn't, it felt like a vision. Like I felt like I saw it and I felt it. And the feeling after I died. And even now looking back, like I said, I'm getting emotional, but the feeling after I died was I was so humiliated. Mm. I was so humiliated that I wasted my life over something that insignificant that I stressed myself out so much to that point where it would press me to like die. I was just humiliated and embarrassed. And so I think after that point, I really took stock in in my perspective of, of how I kind of moved towards my my goals and dreams. And I felt like I had a much better balance since then of not pushing myself too hard and not. Yeah, yeah. yeah kind of like I'm going to work hard enough, but I'm not going to push it to the point where it's going to really mess up my mental health, basically. Yeah. yeah. And it's like sometimes I mean, I think most of the time it takes like a low to kind of like recenter your priorities and like even pivot in a different direction Mm -hmm. um 
to like know that. And it's so hard, like when you're in those lows, like when you're that stressed out over a bunch of things that that are happening in your life to know like, oh, this is what I need to do instead or to be like, I don't know. I just feel like it's really hard when you're in a low to know that it's going to get better, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think I think to be honest, this ACL injury was probably one of the best lessons I got from life um, that I always kind of look back at to help me in those low moments moving forward because part of the, the thing that helped me transition was when I knew basketball was over, even though it was devastating, I was able to rebound pretty quickly because I was like, okay, what's the next closest thing I'm passionate about? this comedy acting thing. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to follow that to the point where I, I had one year left of school in Idaho, for like a business marketing major. Yeah. I said, nah, I'm leaving, going back home to LA. I'm going to major in theater, changing my whole major. Okay. I, I went to all the colleges for theater. I went to UCLA, USC, Loyola, and Cal State Long Beach. All of the schools that I met with to ask about, like, how can I, you know, be a part of the theater program, change my major. They're all like, you're going to be a senior, basically a waste of time. Just finish your school and uh, apply for grad school, the acting mm. program, because you're not going to make it on the main stage. It, it, this takes a long process. I'm like, that's whack. I go to Cal State Long Beach. I'm meeting with the person. As soon as I'm meeting with the person, the artistic director, um, she comes in. She's a South African woman who's hilarious she's like ah, who are you ah, oh my goodness listen listen are you coming to the school you have to come to the school there's a play there's a killer a killer play with a killer african-american role you'd be perfect for you have to audition <laughs> she was just like so so like enthusiastic and she doesn't even know me yeah and so i was like oh this is where i need to be you know um and they had a program where you can also be in student produced directed uh plays once a week so I'm Ooh. like, you can instantly be a part of productions. Um, so I'm like, okay, this is where I'm going. So that transition really helped me a lot because I know a lot of my friends that couldn't play basketball anymore, but it was difficult for them to figure out what else do I do. Pretty soon after the ACL, I was kind of like, this is what I'm going to do next. I'm going to put all my eggs in this basket. I'm a type of person, I put all my eggs in one basket until that basket breaks, you know? Mm -hmm. So like basketball, that was it. I wasn't, I didn't care about anything else. I still had the awareness that I needed to keep up my academics and grades. And I, I love doing that anyway. So I was always like a pretty good, like straight A student throughout most of my college and stuff. But um, but that was only to be like, I need this just in case I can run my businesses once I'm in the NBA. You know what mm, I mean? It wasn't yeah. like a passion. Yeah. But then once that was done, I'm like, I'm not doing business anymore. I don't care. I'm doing If I want to learn acting, I'm going to do theater. Yeah. So that transition really helped me out a lot. And pretty soon I was getting a lot of confirmation of like, this is what I need to be doing. Mm. Like, I'm not only good at this, but people are really responding to what I'm doing in such a, I don't know, it's, it's a process that kind of, it happened quicker and more, even more organically sometimes in basketball. And I think one of the things that helped that with that too was because being an actor and going through actor training, you really got to get to know yourself and grow as a person. And like a lot of people say, it's kind of like therapy. Yep. I was a very reserved person and really not in touch with my emotions. And basketball is a sport, competitive basketball at that level. It doesn't really encourage you to grow certain aspects of your humanity. It encourages your competition, encourages discipline, and encourages teamwork, and encourages a lot of great things that I took. And it helped me to excel in different areas of my life. 
but it didn't encourage vulnerability. It didn't encourage, um, it didn't encourage like getting in touch with some of the past pains you might've experienced and didn't acknowledge. It didn't encourage um, breaking out of your shell in different forms of expression, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so theater really helped out with that a lot. So yeah. I was like, cool. So I, I injured my, my ACL, so my ACL, ended my career of this one thing I wanted to do more than anything else. So at first, the first thought was like, what's the point? What was the point of me doing all this? Mm. Then it transitions me into something I was even more gifted for and more meant for. So that was the wild thing to me. I'm like, wow, all the things that I felt like were hindrances or things that were missing in my ideal basketball career, I felt it with this. Yeah. And so I'm like, wow. So that ACL injury, which was like my biggest low point, I don't say my biggest, but it was one of the big low points of my life, turned out to be one of the biggest blessings of my life. So moving forward, that experience really helped me whenever there was like, you know, when the pandemic hits and everything shuts down or when the family members die or, or when things happen, I always kind of look at that and, and, and see as proof some of the biggest low points can be the biggest blessings. Yeah. So I always use that to kind of remind myself and kind of have that awareness, even when I'm in the middle of a low point. Um, yeah, it's so helpful when we have like the data points of our past to like yes, that yes. we can point to and be like, this was really hard and we overcame it. This was really hard and we overcame it. We're going to do the same thing for this thing. Yeah, yeah. And there's also like, so I'm, I have, I'm very, um, a lot of my time and energy and even mental space goes towards spirituality and, and thinking about God and thinking about my spiritual journey and thinking about my purpose and being led and being guided. So that helped me out a whole lot too, because I don't ever think anything is random. I don't ever think anything is just, you know, random negativity. I always think I'm being led to an experience for a certain purpose um, and for a certain growth. So that faith and that experience I think that perspective also helps me through those times. Um, and usually at those times, I'm just kind of asking for some type of guidance of like, what, what do you want me to get from this? Um, so that helps me push through a lot. And I think, you know, we all kind of tell ourselves different stories. And as I grow, getting through those low points, always it always comes back to what story am I telling myself about this time? Um, so, you know, if I if I'm going through there was a low point I went through my acting career too in like 2017 where like for almost two and a half, three years, I just was not booking. Mm -hmm. Like I was from like 2014 to 2017, it was just kind of increasing. I was getting bigger roles and, you know, opportunities were coming and, and, and it felt like the sky was a limit. I'm like, okay, this is just natural progression. Things are just right. gonna keep moving forward from there. And then things hit like a wall for like almost three years where, you know, it just wasn't happening. And on top of that, I knew I was getting better as an actor and as a performer because I kept working in terms of my own craft. So that really was like, what the hell is going on? I remember there was one low point with my 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 family and I went to go see, um, uh, it was A Star is Born, you know, yeah. Bradley Cooper, Lady Gaga. And I remember we're like, we're in the car afterwards and my dad is in the front seat and I'm in the passenger I just love that movie. It just touched me. But I also remember I just started crying because I was like, I had this feeling that I may, even though I know I'm good and this, I know I'm supposed to be doing this. I may never experience that level of 
I guess, manifestation in terms of having a career like that. I might never, not ever have that. I might always be Lady Gaga's character before she got that opportunity where she's just living with her dad, living, you know, doing that. Mm -hmm. And that scene where she kind of, it was clear she was gifted and talented, but she was just kind of, she didn't really have any opportunity. Mm. And seeing that opportunity she got and seeing her crush it, I was like, I may never have that. It was both beautiful, like, man, that was such a beautiful experience. And also like, I may never experience that. What made you keep going? One thing of like, <laughs> I mean, just love, I loved it so much. And the pandemic helped me with this too. Because when the pandemic shut down everything, I'm like, there's no external opportunities, period. So I only can do this out of my love for doing it. Not for the love of booking something, not for the love of being a part of something. But I had to be okay with, this is what I love doing. This is what I'm gifted at doing. So I'm just going to do it for the sake of doing it. And I have to be fulfilled enough just with that. So I really think the pandemic helped a lot because, um, you know, after the first like couple weeks and month, we're feeling like at a low point and all this sucks. I just started waking up each day. Like what inspires me? What am I excited about? Oh, I want to write some jokes in my Google Doc. Cool. Let me start writing some jokes. Oh, I I, I created like a comedy writing ebook with like a whole bunch of different joke structures that I just kind of analyze on my own and created like a system for myself of like, okay, this is how I analyze all these different types of joke structures. Let me create visual diagrams from it. Let me create like a whole ebook on it. No one bought the ebook, but I did it because I loved it. It yeah. excited me. I was thrilled by doing it. Um, I have like a whole pandemic Google doc of just jokes that never saw the light of day because it was nowhere to perform them, but that it was fulfilling. Mm. So I really think that helped through that process. Because then I'm like, okay, I'm just going to do stuff because I love it. I don't have, I, I don't need an extra excuse other than I love this. I don't need to be like, I love this and it, and it needs to lead to this career or this job or whatever like that. And funny enough, with that attitude, I think, you know, things always go up and down. Even now there's a, a writer's strike and there's not much work. So things always go uh, up and down. You never know when opportunities are going to come. But the opportunities that do come, I mean, they're just pure joy and pure fun. Yeah. Um, I recently got to part of like feeling guided, you know, from above and feeling yeah. like everything is meant to be. In October through November, I shot a pilot in New York where I was one of the leads of the pilot. So this is like the biggest project I've got. And this role is like, I mean, it's such a great role. It's like, man, I get to be funny. I get to, pl I get to play basically a professional basketball player. Um, I get to be absolutely insane in terms of like i'm super diva i'm super egocentric but i'm also into conspiracy theories and i'm really intelligent and so i'm like a wild character so i get to have so much fun um and during that shoot we actually got to work with the nba so we got to do our our basketball scenes in a full uh during the halftime of the nets game in barclays center oh so my god the full crowd is there like yeah. everyone's there watching us do the basketball sequence and i'm the star basketball player on the team what a wild experience coming from you know your relationship to basketball to that yeah yeah it was it was literally like the thing that i had in my head since i was eight years old manifesting in a way that i just couldn't imagine yeah so it's like i could never i mean not only was it a dream role because of acting, but it was a dream basketball experience. I'm playing with professional basketball players on an NBA court during an NBA game where everyone's cheering for me. 
And on top of that, we get to film it in this dope way for a cool project. So, and, and that whole process too, I never felt any fear, obstacles. I was having the time of my life. And it was one of those things where I knew this was meant to be. So even during the audition process, I didn't have any nerves. I didn't have any, it was just like, listen, I'm meant to do this. When I got the audition, I almost didn't audition because I was shooting another project that was doing like 14 hour days. And we um, we couldn't have our cell phones on set. Mm. So like when I would go home at night, I would check my emails and it's like, oh, this here's a self-tape audition. And it's like 13 pages. I'm like, I cannot do this by tomorrow morning. I got to mm -hmm. go on set the next day. So I tell my agents like, listen, is there any way to extend this? I'm like, okay, we're going to try to extend it. The I just happened to get one day off and I'm looking at it and I'm like, this is 13. Listen, I'm just exhausted. I don't know if I can do this. Then I read the character description and it's like, okay, basketball player, NBA player, vegan, which I'm vegan. I've, you know, my whole life, I've, I've never eaten uh, any animals, which is a, another whole story and rare thing. Sure. To be an athlete in that thing. So I'm like, okay, NBA player, vegan. Plus um, it was kind of, it was at first, it was kind of modeled after Kyrie a little bit, Kyrie Irving. And like a week before I got that audition out of nowhere, I would go to comedy shows and different comedians would roast me like, look at Kyrie Irving looking ass over here. I look at Kyrie Irving looking ass, what you doing? You know? So I'm like, no one's ever said I look like Kyrie Irving. Then all yeah. of a sudden I get this audition that is kind of modeled after that. I'm like, oh, this is perfect. And then I read the script. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna have fun with this. So I do the self-tape with my pops. <laughs> my pops is on the iPad. We send it out. And I'm like, there was, no there was one of the few times where I'm like, there's nobody on this earth that can play this role better than me. Nobody. Um, cause it had, you had to like, there was acting moments that, that needed to be done in a certain way. There was comedic moments. There was bat, you know, basketball stuff. I'm like, there's no one that can do this like me. And so then I get the, uh, the audition on zoom, the chemistry read, and I'm in Minnesota at the time. And I'm like, Oh, I got this. I'm gonna kill it. Funny enough, five minutes before the zoom audition, some just tells me like, you know, check the, check the script they gave you again. Cause I'm like, I already did the first script. I know what the script is. I just checked it again. They put another scene. They added a scene, which I didn't know about. In <laughs> oh addition gosh. to 13 pages? Yeah. Oh so my like, God. Damn, I got to get off book for this in like three minutes because I'm about to be on in four. So literally, and the thing about it, if anyone knows about memorizing, when you start memorizing something new, it almost starts pushing out the old stuff you memorize out of your head. Like, oh, shoot. So I just start trying to get off book as fast as I can. Then I get on the Zoom. And then you just kind of let it go and it just... It went great. So afterwards, I'm like, that, that was one of the best auditions I've had. And, you know, if they don't get me, you know, that's it, it must not be meant to be. But I know I'm the perfect for this. Yeah. But then, of course, when I book it, it just all kind of felt kind of meant to be. And even that story of like, OK, all this basketball stuff and this injury was not for nothing. It still felt like it culminated or, or like came together in some way that was really fulfilling. And this project may never come out. It's still kind of, you know, it's up in the air right now, but that yeah. experience itself was like, I don't know, it was the feeling of nothing is wasted in life. You know what I mean? Oh my God, totally. Have you always had like a deep, like spirituality or is that something you've cultivated? It's something I always had because my parents always had it. Uh, and that's why they raised my sister and I, um, vegetarian when we were born because both of them follow a, a spiritual path that was based in uh, northern india mm. 
So they always raised us under those kind of concepts. It's not really a religion. So it's, you know, you can be in any religion and practice this spiritual philosophy. So we were always kind of raised within that understanding as well as like a mix of like my dad is a, a avid reader of different spiritual books. So we have spiritual books from like every culture and every like religion. Cool. So I was always exposed to all those different things. So I always had that with me and that perspective with me growing up. But I really got serious about it when I was like, like 20, 23, 24 is when I got like really serious about it. Yeah. What does that look like when you get, what did that look like for you getting yeah, serious so about it? For this spiritual philosophy, there's a, a thing called initiation. So this particular philosophy has a teacher, what they call a guru. Okay. Someone who's done this meditation practice uh, for, for a long time and has reached a certain level as they would say enlightenment. Is it called, so, is the meditation called something? Surat Shabba Yoga is the okay. technical name. So it. it's basically mean attaching your consciousness to the, the creative power within, okay. basically. Um, so the kind of, the, the basic thing is a meditation practice. So getting serious about it is if you want to be initiated and learn the techniques of this meditation practice, the kind of prerequisite is for a year, you have to, um, of course, live the lacto-vegetarian is their specific thing, meaning no uh, chicken, fish, eggs, and fish. But you can still have dairy and stuff because different cultures have different relationships to dairy. Mm -hmm. um, but my family just chose to be vegan just from our own purposes. Sure. Um, so you got to do that for a year. No uh, alcohol or drugs or anything like that for a year. Um, no sex outside of marriage for a year. Um, and, and have these vows for the rest of your life. And then um, once you go through that, reading certain books about the path, really knowing that you want to be a part of this, um, and then just like applying, go to like a local center that has gatherings on Sundays, talk to someone that kind of helps, you know, put in your paperwork, and then you either figure out if you get accepted or not. You know, some people do it multiple times. Yeah. Um, I was fortunate to get accepted. I think it was during like, I think it was like just before Herald auditions or something. It was during that time, I remember. Okay. Um, but yeah, so then I got accepted. And so then the, the biggest vow is now you got to meditate two and a half hours a day, every day. Whoa. Um, yeah, yeah. So and I've been doing that since 2013. Yeah. Two hours a day. Oh, and that is not, I'm not super privy to like different meditation types. I know mm -hmm. there's like one where it's like guided and somebody's talking to you versus mm -hmm. like I took a course in transcendental meditation, which is not guided yeah, how yeah. where does that where does yeah, your yeah. Two and a half so this hour one lie? Is, this one is not guided so it, it's all about basically sitting in a room trying to use having a, a specific and secret mantra that you're given an initiation that you try to place that at that third eye chakra mm -hmm. and it's just trying to use that mantra over and over again um to help that sounds still like your TM. mind yeah 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 help uh, still your mind longer. yeah and then you know within that you can experience different things within that yeah wow. I mean, your journey is so incredible. We're coming up on an hour, um, although I could talk to you forever. Uh, my One of my last questions for you is if somebody out there is experiencing a low point right now, what advice or maybe not even advice, but just what would you tell them? Yeah, um, I think what I've at least this is what has helped me. And, and yes. I think it it might be able to help someone else. So. Whenever I'm in a low point, it's about, there's always, for me, a low point is all about attitude and perspective, not necessarily circumstance. 
And so because I had that ACL injury, that was a specific circumstance, but I knew my attitude at the point made it a low point. But now looking back, it's a high point because that let without that, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be doing the thing I feel like I'm meant to be doing. So for me, low point is all about attitude and perspective. So what has helped me is first of all, acknowledge the low point that you're in, acknowledge the attitude and the feelings that you have there and write them out somewhere. Just like mm -hmm. get them out so you can actually see what your attitude is. I, I just call them beliefs. So like, if I'm in a low point. I say like, what is the belief I have about this period? For basketball, maybe it was like, all that hard work for basketball was for nothing. I'm never gonna live my dream. Um, and this was all a waste. Maybe that's what I'm feeling. So at least I gotta write it out and acknowledge what it is. And then for me, it's all about what is a, what is a belief that you prefer to have in that place? So maybe the belief that I prefer would be like, nothing is wasted. Everything I've learned in my basketball is gonna help guide me towards something else I'm even more suited for. And this is gonna, this was gonna teach me how to become more of who I am. So I might write that down and I might use that as an affirmation to myself and really speak that to myself, even meditate on that, use that as an affirmation that I repeat and do it in a way where I really believe it. Like I'm not just doing lip service to it, but do it in a way where I really feel like this is true. And I think doing that enough, which I have done in the past for a myriad of different like negative beliefs I've had has really helped kind of shape and transition my perspective and attitude through those times. And everything has always gotten better. Even if the circumstances feel like they're still in the same place, how I feel about them has changed and that has meant the, the difference in the world. So like if you're at a low point, acknowledge where you are, maybe write it out, write out what you feel about it. What is the story you feel about that low point? And ask yourself, is there another story you can tell that feels more empowering, more uplifting, um, more fulfilling? And try to say that and really get that into you in a point where you really believe it in your heart, that that can yeah. be another option. Wow. Yeah. Yes. On in every sense of the word. Um. Yeah. It's really like, uh, separating out the circumstance from the truth really mm -hmm. or your feelings or yeah just like that perspective change um yeah. which is hard but I'm sure with like practice maybe it gets easier um yeah wow uh thank you a million thank yous um I learned so much about you i still have a million questions but um we'll have to do a part two or something uh thank you again yeah. i really really enjoyed talking to you and it's just such a pleasure thank you thank you i really appreciate this podcast and what you do with it thank you for having me on i enjoyed talking with you too and you know sharing part of my story thanks for listening to this episode of how the fuck did you bounce back with guest actor writer comedian lawndale theus jr you can find his socials in the episode notes below thanks again for listening new episodes every thursday <laughs> <laughs>